Hello, welcome to Stacked. I'm Amanda. And I'm Zipporah. And we're two friends who connected over our shared love of books and their power to demystify the world around us. So if you're the kind of person who can't leave their house without a book, or you still remember the first book you couldn't put down, or you love long journeys because it gives you a really good chance to read, then join us each episode as we discuss the books we've read and how they've changed us, saved us, made us laugh, and cry, or even disappointed us. It happens. (laughs) (laughs) This first season, we're looking into the books that have influenced us the most. Essentially, the books that made us. And these aren't necessarily our favourite books, because how do you choose a favourite book? Exactly. It's like picking a favourite child. (laughs) And this season, we're starting off with British by Applehurst. You can find Stacked wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Instagram at TheStackedPod. Hi, friends. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I just got back from Peru. Ooh. Yeah. yeah, trip of a lifetime, right? Yeah, shout out to Gabby for organising that. Shout out to Gabby. Because it was, honestly, yeah, like you said, trip of a lifetime. Yeah. Tell us about it. What did you do? We hiked to Machu Picchu. Amazing. We saw some salt mines. Yeah. We, I don't know what you would call it, but we we stayed in this kind of teepee. Mm-hmm. And honestly, like in the mountains mm-hmm. and the stars, they were they were here. <laughs> you can't see me, how close they were to my face, but yeah. Guys, I'm like saying right they were here. close. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and the food. Oh. No, the food. Yeah. yeah. The food. That's it. The yeah, food. like South American food, chef's kiss. Honestly. No, but Peruvian food. Oh, Peruvian food. Like specifically. Like specifically mm. elite. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Very jealous. <laughs> very, very jealous. We had, this, we had this private tour guide and he was telling us about the... Inca people and mm-hmm. the and the Quechua people and the Quechua language, mm-hmm. and one of the things he said was that one of the, when you say how are you, the only response to how are you is I'm feeling excellent, <laughs> regardless. There's no like you remember that scene in Euphoria like this, I'm this is what did she say? Yeah, I've never felt happy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but li- li- you could be crying. So the only response is I'm feeling excellent. Yeah, I, and I feel like that's really positive. Yeah, yeah. I, I love that for them. Yeah, like no room for negativity. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. So that <laughs> was that, even in the language. That was interesting. So yeah, it was a really great trip. But yeah. yeah, what have you been up to? Oh, literally nothing. I've had like the complete opposite <laughs> week to you. Probably, <laughs> I've literally just been in bed sick. My little, you know, turn of the season cold. My yeah. first cold of the season, basically. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So that's literally it. But I did manage to get like some good reading done in that time. What What did you read? Um. I've been reading, or what I read that was like really good while I was mm. sick was mm. this book called Night Bitch by <laughs> Rachel Yoda. I love that name. <laughs> I love that name. Literally, I picked it up off of the basis of the name alone, and essentially, it's kind of like this magical realism story Mm. you know i love a weird book Mm. and it's essentially about (laughs) it's about this new mom who is a stay-at-home mom she's spending all her time like taking care of her baby she doesn't have that much support from her partner and she just feels like she's so pared down to just like her basic instincts which Mm. is to care for this child Mm. that she starts to feel like an animal (laughs) and then eventually at night she starts turning into a dog Love that. Hence it, the name. That is so funny. Night bitch. Yeah. Yeah. That is really good. <laughs> yeah. It reminds me of, you know, that story that you recommended for me in What It Means When a Man Falls from the Sky. Mm, what is the name mm-hmm. of the story? Who will greet Who you will when greet you get you. home? Yeah. That mm-hmm. book was so I missed my train stop. I remember you. I was late to me. work. I, I was like so shook. 
Yeah. Um, but that sounds really good. No, I remember my first like experience reading that like story as well. Like it's mm. really, I love those kind of like weird fantastical element mm. kind of um mm. uh stories and books. Like so it was really, really good. It yeah. felt like a fever dream. I did have a fever though. So <laughs> maybe it was a <laughs> yeah, fever dream. Yeah, literally, maybe it was. But like great reading experience, ten out of ten. <laughs> I'm, I pick, I was reading The New Yorker and in The New Yorker they had this, um, like they were recommending Alice Walker's new book. It's it's her, it's a diary, a collection mm. of all her diaries. Mm. And so I was like, let me pick up a, let me pick up an Alice Walker book. Yeah. So I picked up this short story collection called In Love and Trouble. Oh, I love a short story collection, honestly. But it's so good and it's a bit, it's like what it means when a man falls from the sky because it, it has everything mm, there's mm. no one genre of story in mm. there and yeah you definitely walk away you don't feel good about men but you feel good <laughs> about women you feel good about <laughs> just reading and writing because it's very experimental oh, okay so yeah, yeah I, I, I love Alice Walker but it was funny re- even reading the New Yorker article because she was writing around the time of Toni Morrison which I didn't know mm. or I didn't really appreciate mm-hmm. and she was talking about how she was feeling bad and like comparing herself to her and why Toni Morrison is more successful than her oh, and I really I, I get that yeah I get that how could you not mm, you know mm. I think I didn't realise that they were contemporaries either mm, mm. but when you think about it timeline wise that makes sense yeah, right? yeah oh poor Alice yeah she's still great I think all of us probably have diary moments where we're like, yeah. who am I? Yeah. <laughs> what am I doing with my yeah. life? <laughs> where am I going? I'm no Tony. <laughs> I wonder who Tony thought that about. Nobody. I'm being so serious. <laughs> Nobody. I wonder, I wonder. I think she had like peers, but I don't think she had anyone where she felt like, oh, I, you're no. besting me. Sometimes I think she must have read something and thought, damn, that's good. Wish I would <laughs> Maybe James Baldwin. They loved each other, didn't they? Yeah, I think that's probably a good one. Mm-hmm. But I think, like you said, I think she saw them as yeah, peers. peers. Yeah. yeah, But she's human. I'm sure she, maybe not with writing, but I'm sure she had human shaky moments. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, so let's get into Let's it. get into this episode, the first episode. Mm-hmm. So this episode, we are talking about British by Afwa Hirsch. And British is about Afwa's search for identity and belonging as a mixed-race woman raised in the UK. Mm. And how the fact that she has to search for her identity and, and a sense of belonging in the place that she grew up in the first place is connected to the fact that British society is racist. Mm. And we have this complex relationship with our colonial legacy where essentially we try to bury it. But it's very much alive and well. So books like this are important to me because they give people the tools to articulate the subtleties of racism. And I feel like they also give people the tools to advocate for themselves. Really impressed with her and loved this book. I actually think she started to think I was stalking her because we kept <laughs> running into each other. Yeah, and it was really, like, not cool. But... Like, I was talking <laughs> Yeah, like, at Af- Af- Africa Rights, I was in the green room yeah. and she was speaking. She was like, what are you doing here? And I was like... <laughs> 
I'm just helping out. um, (laughs) Following you. (laughs) I think I saw that her favourite books actually align with us so well. It's Mm. actually a little bit scary. (laughs) Because I saw online that some of her favourite books are All God's Children Need Travelling Shoes by Maya Angelou, Mm. which I know you love. Yeah, I love everything by that woman. Yeah, I know you love her. Cookbooks, anything. She wrote it, I'll read it. (laughs) A recipe, to-do list. um, I got it. (laughs) How to walk, I'll read it. And then also Song of Solomon, which is obviously by um, Toni Morrison, who we love, like, so much. Love, like, when your faves love your faves. Exactly. Mm. You know you're doing the right things. Mm. (laughs) So to get right into it, I have a question that I think is going to get us started off quite well. I'm listening. So (laughs) on the scale of, like, a cup of tea to the Queen, (laughs) rest in peace, Lizzie. Rest in peace, Lizzie. How British do you feel? I feel like on that scale, yeah. like I'm cup of tea, mm-hmm. getting getting the cue, say sorry <laughs> too much, and then like when the sun comes out, wear a bikini. No, yeah, like, I that, <laughs> it just ends there. But I feel I feel British. Yeah, but yeah. I just know that that means a lot of different things. Mm. But I also feel Ghanaian and Liberian like very much. Mm-hmm. I feel all of, all of the things. You feel like you're all of the things. I feel all of the things. Yeah. And I, but I, like I t- one thing I would struggle to say is I'm English. Mm, yeah. Like, you know, I was born here, I was born in England, yeah. but would anyone call me an English, English. rose? Yeah. But they call me English? That's a good one. Or I feel like if I said I was English, even though I am, people would turn their heads <laughs> and I would feel them and we'd look at each other and I'd be like, dun, yeah, dun. But, it's, but I'm English. Yeah. Um, I feel British, I do. Okay. I think when I was younger, I didn't identify with it because my parents didn't mm. and everyone around us was African. So they were Ghanaian, Liberian, mm. Rwandan, Nigerian. Mm-hmm. No one was British. Yeah. But as I got older, especially when you travel, people look at you and consider you to be British. Yeah. And... Yeah. It's like, why am I British everywhere else but here? Yeah. Because even when you go back to, like, let's say, for example, like to Ghana or mm. like for me, Malawi, mm. I can say, oh, I'm not British. I'm not British as much as I want. But like, if I go out there, they're mm. like, oh, yeah, you're British. <laughs> thing is, even, when I'm in Ghana, I feel both. Mm-hmm, I feel mm-hmm. like they also have. If you go to the market. Oh. If you go to the market, you oh. got it. <laughs> If I go to the markets, you say one word and they're like, "Yeah, (laughs) got got him." (laughs) I think I would say for me, on a scale of like a cup of tea to the queen, I think I was thinking of a cup of tea being like obviously like one or two, and I would say that is exactly where I am. Cup of tea. Yeah, I'm a cup of tea, and I'm gonna break this down right because I think a cup of tea is obviously a very quintessentially british like image right Mm -hmm. like the british love a cup of tea but at the end of the day that like tea is still imported oh do you know what i mean so i think like that fits me like perfectly like i'm imported (laughs) (laughs) i'm imported but i've assimilated very well to the point where you would be fooled into thinking that i literally just sprung up here i I do not. You don't feel more British than that. You, as in, you basically feel like you're an expert. <laughs> no, because like, it sounds like you're saying I'm someone who's come in and I like tea. <laughs> yeah, no, literally, <laughs> I am someone who's come in and I like tea. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. 
I like a little Sunday roast, you know. But you, so you came from Malawi when you were thirteen. Yeah, when so I you, was thirteen. But now you've been here longer than you've I been in Malawi. In Mal- yeah, and yet still, when people ask me like, "Where are you from?" I'm like, "I'm a Malawian." Immediately. No, now more and more. Before I would just say I'm Ghanaian, Liberian. Now I feel British. Like yeah. when I when I, like I said when I come home when I land in Heathrow, I'm home. Mm-hmm. I feel like my friends and family are here. Mm-hmm. My references yeah. are here. Yeah. I know the lay of the land. Yeah. It's like, I'm home. Maybe I need to, like, lean into it a bit more. It does feel strong. When, like, just then you said, I'm home. <laughs> that I felt like, ooh. <laughs> but it's true. Like, it's it is true. Factually, this I am British. Mm-hmm. Emotionally, it's been a journey. Mm. So, yeah, speaking of that skill, cup of tea to the Queen... How did you feel about that when the Queen died? It's an interesting one. I'm not going to lie. I thought the whole thing was going to go with her. It wouldn't be a bad thing. It wouldn't. I'm like, can we consider some other options? Can we throw that out there? Let's go Republic. (laughs) (laughs) No, exactly. How did you feel about it? I was... I hate when people do this thing where they say, I remember where I was. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but I was talking to my mum on the phone. It's because she told me on the phone, oh, the Queen's dead. Mm. And I was in St. Paul's and St. Paul's is one of the churches that have to, yeah, the bells have to toll. toll. Mm. So that started happening. And it felt like a moment. Mm-hmm, it felt mm-hmm. like a significant moment and I felt like it was a big change. Yeah. And I felt sad that someone had died. Same. But when people say things like it's a tragedy... Oh, it's tragic. I'm like... It's not very tragic. It's not tragic. She died in 90, 98, 99? 92? Uh, I don't know. 90? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, um, 90 plus. <laughs> yeah, it's not It's not tragic. Mm-hmm. And I'm not for the monarchy, so... No, neither. Yeah, so... I can't relate to those, the, the those emotions. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And what she stood for mm-hmm. is what I stand against. Oh, yeah. What more can be said? Just leave it there. Yeah, and either way, rest in peace to that lady. I also want to complain about the money that was spent on the funeral. <laughs> I'm just going to say that. Go on. Yeah, I am disappointed about... It's difficult to watch a lot of money being spent on a funeral mm. under the current economic... Exactly. ...circumstances. When the country is literally falling apart around us like I remember there were people who I think they had missed their last train because they were paying their respects to her mm-hmm. and then they housed them in some of the trains they let them oh, sleep wow. in the trains and it's like there's homeless people out there every night yeah and the solution has somehow never presented itself before you know like as an option it's just those kind of things that make monarchy a strange a strange thing strange thing <laughs> So back to British, for me, identifying as British has been definitely a journey, but I don't think it's been as much of a journey as it was for Afwash. I think to me, like from reading it, her journey felt very kind of like pained. I think especially because of like the circumstances within which she grew up. Mm. So like, you know, growing up, being one of the only kind of like ethnic minorities in In, Wimbledon. Yeah. And then I guess that would kind of make you feel this otherness literally like right from the very beginning. Yeah. Especially like if you're growing up in literally Wimbledon, which is like 
obviously a very very white area yeah. and yeah. obviously a very very British thing I think yeah it's like one of those words that people immediately associate with like Britain and you know I don't know yeah it's like actually when I was growing up like I said I grew up in my, my parents obviously my parents were black mm. and then all their friends were black mm. all my friends were black yeah. my cousins were black exactly um, exactly white people Indian people different cultures were around me but they felt peripheral peripheral mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and people didn't ask me where I was from or where mm-hmm. I was really from mm-hmm. and when they did I felt like they, the question represented them as an outsider to my life mm-hmm. like oh you want to know some more about me mm-hmm. but I didn't feel like I was having to justify yeah. my Britishness because mm-hmm. I was in my mind at that time being born somewhere and living somewhere for yeah. many years cut and dry what am I going to be yeah <laughs> <laughs> Who am I, what am I going to be yeah <laughs> when I did start to have to question like when it when I got into uni that's when, so like around 18, mm. that's when I was around, my community was, I was lifted out of my community and this was my community and it was very white mm. and those questions came hard and fast. Yeah. And constantly like, have you read Jane Austen? You've never read Jane Austen. Mm. But it's like, have you ever read Bucci and Machetta? But it didn't matter because I was the only person asking that question. Yeah. But there were 10 mm. people saying, but have you read Sense and Sensibility? Mm. Mm-hmm. And I had it. I love Jane Austen, but I just hadn't read her. Yeah. And the fact that I didn't made them look at me like... Are you even... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that kind of, like, destabilising kind of, like, moment for you when you're, like, lifted up your community mm. and you're suddenly in this kind of, like, new space. I'm realising now um, where you're, fe- you're feeling like you have to, like, justify things and mm. justify yourself and, mm. like, your experiences. So I guess that would have been, like, Afua's experience right from the very start. Yeah, exactly. Like, from the very, very beginning, mm, she mm. was having to prove herself mm. to justify her Britishness, to justify the fact that you can be black and British. Mm. So I think that's why, like, we were saying the book is so... Um, I don't know what the word is for it. Because obviously it's, like, a very private, intimate thing. Yeah. But like, it's... You can tell that this is something that really... Yeah, that is written for her and that yeah. she's unpacking yeah. years of... Yeah. I don't want to say confusion, but... Mm-hmm. I don't know what, just like you said, in the book, she has a, she's, she describes it as having a crisis of confidence. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think comparing her experience to mine mm. gives it more context because like I said, because I haven't had to answer that question until I was 18, mm. whereas she's been answering it for so long that mm. you probably do get to a point where you are believing the people around you saying you can't be mm-hmm. just British. You have to be, mm-hmm. there's got to be more there. Mm-hmm. Mm. And, like, even on top of that, like, even if you are, quote-unquote, British, mm. you're not the right kind. Mm. So I remember, like, this one instance in the book where she's talking about going shopping in, like, Wimbledon. <laughs> like, trying to go to, like, the little, like, boutiques. Because she likes, like, the cute little boutiques, you know, mm. uh, little bespoke clothes and, like, all that kind of stuff. And, like, going in and, like, um, one of her friends was working there. This is when she was a teenager. And they go into the shop and the manager tells a friend, oh, the black girl can't be in here. I, I actually can't She's believe. Still, like, that's crazy. Until this day, she feels uncomfortable, like, going into boutiques and, like, Wimbledon, just, like, from the trauma of that mm, first experience. Mm, mm. And it's so weird because it's like, you literally, you've, you've grown up, like, down the road. Yeah. I'm so oblivious. I remember when I was younger, someone had said something racist to me. Mm. I didn't even clock. Really? They said to me, "Go." we were having an argument. <clears throat> they said to me, go back to where you came from. Why don't you go back to where you came from? I said, Emma, is that all you've got? <laughs> go back to my house in Wembley? <laughs> you think you think that means something? 
And then only <laughs> like it's not home time. <laughs> only later did I realize, oh wow, that she was young as well. We were like, like we were thirteen, we were mm. really young. So for her to come out with, I feel like, what was you, what was her parents saying to her <laughs> oh, <all sorts laughs> about man. black people? Yeah, all sorts. But for someone to say the black girl can't come in, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, it's insane. And it kind of makes me think or reminds me of you know an Americana by mm-hmm. Amanda mm. when she says that she didn't know that she was black until she went to America. Right? Yeah, yeah. Which is what I think was my experience. Mm. Like obviously, like you know you're black. Mm-hmm. But even then, it's like, you, I always thought of myself more as, like, Malawian or, like, yeah. African. Like, yeah. very specific to, like, my background mm. and my, you know, ancestry or whatever. Mm. Whereas, like, I think I came to the UK and then to find out that I was... Well, not to find out, but, like, to realise that you're black and that blackness is this thing that has so many different associations mm. that other people impose upon you immediately just, like, upon meeting you. Yeah, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And it was like having to reckon with kind of like all those assumptions that people are going to make about you. Yeah, and just off your skin color. Yeah, and I know it sounds weird, but honestly, again, I didn't know, realize I was black until I went to uni and left mm. my family because. But and I started to notice, the, like the kind of infiltration of the thought. When, for example, I would feel nervous ordering chicken if there were like loads of white uh, because I knew mm-hmm, they would mm-hmm. start saying, "There she goes." Yeah. <laughs> God, can she? Like her, her pad is so. <laughs> yeah, like literally, like ugh, typical. Typical. Yeah, I started to notice that if I do certain things, I'm playing into a certain stereotype, and I'm, I can't, I'm not an individual. Mm-hmm, like they're mm-hmm. expecting certain behaviors from me, mm-hmm. and like, even me not knowing, not having read Jane Austen was like, yeah. You know, you don't read, do you? Yeah. You don't really... You're not serious about this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so when her partner in the book is saying... He's kind of confused that she's having this struggle mm-hmm. and that she has to write this book. But I think just like we've talked about, it makes so much more sense because from, for his experience, he he's grown up in an all-black community. Mm. He He doesn't... He just never has had to justify in the same way even though he has experienced prejudice and people stereotyping him yeah I don't think it's the same you don't have the same insecurities Mm -hmm. yeah yeah Mm -hmm. exactly and I think also because you wouldn't have experienced kind of like that I guess like the insecurities so early in Mm. your life Mm. like a very formative point of your life where like it might lead to a lot of like issues when you're older because yeah. it's like so much harder to get over when it was something that you've been experiencing as a child and exactly. growing up you know yeah. but it's like for me my experience is more like the her partner's experience mm. so when I read the book it was like okay here I am learning about this experience like this experience of this woman who is mixed race and lives in white Wimbledon mm. but the reason the book connected to me was the chapter on beauty yeah mm-hmm. not beauty the, the chapter is um, bodies, called Bodies she talks about how that black women, dark-skinned women in particular, mm. are not considered to be attractive in Western society, mm-hmm. or at least on, a, on the scale, mm-hmm. we're not at the top. Mm-hmm. By that time, this is written in 2018, mm. I was having this experience where I could feel that difference, and whenever I brought it up, people would undermine me and say, no, 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 it's just you need to smile more. No, you're gorgeous. No, you're this. No, you're that. Mm. And my mum didn't relate to it because my mum grew up in an all-black mm. society. So, yeah, I was really struggling with it. And and then finally I had someone who said, no, actually, here are the facts and what you're experiencing is 
real. It's real yeah. and it's happening. Mm-hmm. And it's got nothing to do with the fact that you're ugly. Mm. It's more to do with the fact that you're looking at yourself through the white gaze. Yeah. 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 Through, through that lens. Mm-hmm. And it just really helped me to give that up mm. and just stop obsess- obsessing and stop being a part of that, mm-hmm. of looking at myself through that lens. And it really helped me accept that I'm gorgeous and whatever is happening in terms of whatever I have to experience in terms of people not treating me that way is not my business anymore. Period. And I think, which is why, like, I really enjoyed that chapter as well. And I'm so glad that we're moving away from, like, when we talk about beauty, right, mm. or, like, desirability politics, I feel mm. like before in the past, it was seen almost as, like, kind of, like, silly. Like, mm. you you know, you talk about, you know, like you're saying, like, feeling, you know, attractive or beautiful or, like, whatever else. Um, and people thought it was just kind of, like, an individual, you know, basis like oh mm. beauty's in the eye of the beholder etc etc preference it's not my preference yeah exactly when it's like no there's actually like an overarching kind of like like when we're talking about the white gaze or mm. like you know white beauty standards mm. there's like something wider going on here mm. like it's not just like on an individual basis there's something going on like across the uh, society um where we've placed kind of like we place value more on like you know certain like physical aspects more than Mm. others and Mm. those physical aspects just happen to be what's the whitest exactly you know and then it completely excludes all of the rest of us Mm. and it's like it's not like being like oh well well you don't (laughs) think i'm pretty yeah which is why i get so annoyed when people think it's that because it's Mm. like i feel like uh beauty politics is connected to so much more than just like oh you don't think i'm attractive yeah you know yeah 100 100%, 100%. it's connected to how you're treated just in day-to-day life when you're walking about and that's what that's what made it so trippy yeah. trippy is not they need to find a different word makes it it would made it made it dragged it out mm-hmm. basically mm-hmm. if i could have accepted that a long time ago it wouldn't have been so torturous mm. because i would be I was sometimes I'd be sitting with someone, let's say like a mixed race friend, for example, mm-hmm. and if like guys came over to speak to, to I'm gonna say her mm-hmm. because they would I would ask a question, they would answer her. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. Been there, <laughs> <laughs> and I would talk about those experiences, and that person might be like, "Oh no, no, I'm sure no, I'm yeah. sure not, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. surely not, surely not." Yeah. <laughs> and it's not it's not to say that those people had bad intentions or anything, but. Yeah, just not being able to call something what it is mm, mm-hmm. makes things more complicated and it makes it harder to cut it out. Yeah. Mm. And I think it was, like, good for that to come from kind of, like, um, Afua Hirsch especially because as a mixed-race woman, mm. as a lighter-skinned black woman, yeah. you're able to, like, say these kinds of things mm. and then not have someone turn around and then be like, oh, but are you sure? You just they hate... that's not just your experience. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or sometimes... I sometimes feel like when you're dark skin and you talk about this, that mixed race girls sometimes feel that you're jealous mm. or you don't. Mm. Yeah, basically you're jealous. Bitter. I don't think there's any. Like yeah, bitter. Jealous, bitter. Yeah, hate. All those things. Yeah. And it really has nothing to do with that. It yeah. really has to do with. I remember telling this this actor about it, and he's older now, but he was saying when he was younger and like more gorgeous or whatever, mm. free coffees. Mm. People trust you more. Yeah. When exactly. you make mistakes, people are more forgiving. Exactly. And there's little things like that in my day that just kind of they pile on. Mm-hmm. And when you're trying to talk about it so you can get it off your back, then people are saying, No, you just smile more. Yeah, just like love yourself. Just shake it off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, Have you ever thought maybe it's 
you. <laughs> no, and it, and that is that's a, that is it's a waste of time. It's ridiculous. Yeah, and it just isn't true. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And yeah, which is why it was so good literally to have this and to be able to point to it yeah it's so well researched so well researched so well researched yeah, yeah. completely agree with that yeah and the, and the, I think one of the other, one of the greatest things about this book is that speaking about race in the UK is so difficult mm. and I've and some of the things that you experience are so subtle that it's so hard it's, it's so amazing how she's been able to yeah but articulate them and find the evidence to back up those points mm-hmm. so i'm really grateful for that because even the, the the bibliography in the back is long mm-hmm. yeah, 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 yeah 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 obviously i chose this book yeah but what what was your first impression reading it um so this is one of those books that i had on my uh on my shelves for like such a long time mm-hmm. um i remember you mentioning afterwards me and me looking at the book and being completely interested in buying it, but I just never got around to reading it. Mm. Because you know me, I'm not a non-fiction girl, like, mm. at all. <laughs> I'm just not a non-fiction girl. I love my fiction books. Um, but for one, I really love the title because I feel like it gets it gets me. Mm. <laughs> like, like it gets me. The way that it's, like, Brit-ish, you know? Like British, exactly. Because yeah. that's exactly how I feel. Like I'm British. Do you still feel that way? Yeah, like I'm British. Um, so I thought the title was really clever. Um, and despite my reservations about like nonfiction, I do think that when it's a book like this that deals with um identity politics, mm. especially when it's like you know close to heart and close to home. I always end up kind of enjoying that. Mm. Yeah, because it is quite, like, affirming, like we're saying, to be able to, like, read these stats and, like, mm. have um, actual facts to back up just how we feel. But I feel like on that note, though, I was reading it, and as I was reading it, I didn't feel like it was for me. Yeah. Yeah. And do you get what I mean by that? Yeah, like, I, it felt like there were times where she was speaking to white people. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. That's exactly how I felt. Which isn't a bad thing. Yeah. Because I think, you know, the people who need this book do need to read it. Yeah. But I just didn't feel like it was one that I personally yeah. needed to read. Yeah. And as you're reading, you're thinking, agree, agree, agree. Yeah, agree, agree, agree. Yeah, but you're not thinking, whoa, I've been waiting for this. Yeah, exactly. These, these revelations. Exactly. Yeah. Like, it didn't feel like there was any kind of, like, you know... Yeah, like a revelation, any kind of like moments where I was like, oh, wow. Because like, as I was saying, this is essentially our lived experience, which isn't to take anything away from it yeah. at all. Yeah. Because as we're saying, the people that need it should get it. They should get it. They should receive this book. But is this, I haven't read Natives, but I've read, this is why I'm no longer talking. What? I'm no <laughs> why longer, I'm no why longer I'm talking no longer, about race. Yeah. <laughs> This is why I'm hot. No, um, why I'm no longer talking to white people about race. Yeah. And that felt By like... Renieto Lodge. I feel like that should have been called This is the last time I'm going to talk to white people about race. Yeah. Because it felt like she was talking to Yeah, them. she said, I'm done. And it's like, that's more the stance where I'm on. I'm not going to lie. Like, mm. I'm, I'm not talking about race with people. I'll talk about it if I think someone does something whack. Well, not whack, a racist. <laughs> Racism whack. is whack. <laughs> if someone does something racist, I feel more and more comfortable to say, Oh, yeah. Oh, no. But 
In terms of explaining, yeah, I'm not. Everyone is smart. I'm not going back and forth. We all have Google. We all have even TikTok. I'm sorry, you can learn so much racial theory on TikTok. If someone opens their mouth to say, oh, "But, but is racism real? But how? But where?" Then that's it. Yeah, like you, you talk to yourself. <laughs> so yeah. figure it out yourself. We also reached out to some other people to hear about their impressions of the book. And Temi has said, I'm going to read it to you. She said, British by Afflehurst was an interesting insight into race from the perspective of a mixed race person living in Britain, which I think is yeah. how we felt. Mm-hmm. I thought her book was a good read, especially as her perspective was something I hadn't really read into before. However, when the intersection of class was spoken about in the book in relation to her now black husband's working class background, it became kind of an uncomfortable read for me. I thought she romanticised what she deemed the authentic black experience because she didn't grow up on a council estate. I get a lot of black people in Britain grow up in council estates, but that doesn't define the black experience or black culture and community, as these things do not equate to growing up in a council estate. Mm. Class-like race is a power dynamic designed to create inequality and subjugate a certain group of people. So it was interesting to me that the book was exploring race and all the power dynamics that it throws up. But in this particular section of the book, class wasn't analysed in the same manner. Oh, oh. Temi said, let me tell you something. (laughs) Let me tell you. (laughs) (laughs) I actually know the line I feel like she's talking about. There's a line in the first chapter where she says that her husband's experience of, that basically he was born with a silver spoon in, in his mouth when it came to identity and belonging. Mm. And I think using that, is that analogy or metaphor? Mm-hmm. It felt uncomfortable. Yeah. yeah. It yeah. felt uncomfortable. Yeah. Because, I mean, to get straight to the point, she's the one who was born with a silver spoon in her mouth, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Just not exactly on this one part mm, mm, or mm. not exactly as it pertains to like identity and mm. belonging, as mm, you're saying. Mm. Um, so she feels like she's had to fight for her identity mm. and she feels like because he's like, you know, first generation gone in, he's never really had to fight for that, which I completely get. But I think it's a little tone deaf mm. to kind of like equate his upbringing in Tottenham on a council estate um, to like, any kind of privilege it's almost like turning his what's the word for it turning her privilege into a disadvantage yeah she turned her own privilege into like a disadvantage or Mm. she turned her own privilege into something that stops her from feeling like she belonged which when it's like it's not exactly that that did that to you it's the people that you were surrounded by yeah yeah exactly and i think for me like the silver spoon thing I think it did show how pained, like how pained her experience was. Mm, like mm-hmm. even the fact that she made that comparison yeah. was really. It felt yeah. like, oh, this must have been bad because that is not, that is not the choice I would have made. Yeah, and I think she even jokes as a certain, or she jokes, or her, she says that her parents used to joke about how she would have rather grown up um, on a council estate. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like as a teenager. Yeah, so they must have been looking at her like this thing is rocking her. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, I, th- I think Tammy raises a good point. Yeah, Tammy raised a great point. I think Tammy raises a g- great point. And I think that whenever she does talks, she's very aware of her privilege. Mm, and she's mm-hmm. constantly explaining that people often allow her to speak about race in this way because of her background, yeah. because she went to Oxford, because yeah. she's 
mixed race, those things. All of these things that make her more palatable. Yeah, exactly. To the white audience. Exactly. And yeah, I think that that comment was, I think, poor choice of words, Mm. but also for me shows how badly she wanted to feel included, whether Mm. in Britishness or blackness. Mm. Um, Yeah, but... Yeah, I didn't think it was... That's a good point, actually, because I feel like at that point, probably both would have felt a little bit inaccessible to her, like mm. the Britishness and the blackness, Even depending when, on where yeah, she is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even one time where she says that she got braids and that completely made her feel like finally she felt black. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that is... I love braids and all, but it's like... I think the fact that something like wearing braids would make her feel so much more in touch with her blackness, whereas... For me, wearing braids is a very practical, just part of my everyday... Mm-hmm. Me- it's not meaning... Yeah, actually, it is meaningless to me it- in the sense that just making sure my hair is not drying mm-hmm. out. Protective <coughs> style. Yeah, but it has nothing to do with my identity in that way. Mm. I'm sure other people look at... Yeah, I guess other people do look at me and think, but because everyone around me was black, no one... It didn't... It wasn't a signifier mm. of anything. Yeah, yeah except anything. that you've locked your hair in mm-hmm. for six weeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm sorry, but if there's like hair braiders in Wimbledon. Good luck. <laughs> and then you finally do get to like, you know, braid your hair, which would be like a signifier for her. Mm. I can see how that would have felt like very, yeah, like comforting and like very like yeah. full circle. Yeah. Because then like no one can look at her and see anything but black. Yeah. Moving on now to a segment that I am so excited about, Amanda. <laughs> I love, I love, we love recommending books, guys. We love it. Like, it's one of my favorite pastimes. I'll do it when no one asks me. Unprovoked. <laughs> Literally <laughs> unprovoked. I'm like, you want a book? <laughs> so, essentially, this is going to be our book recommendations uh, segment. Which book recs? Book recs, exactly. Where we're going to try and act as your literary agony aunt. Think of us that way. Yeah, guys. think of us as your book fairies, literally. You can give us any kind of scenario, any kind of situation, any kind of situationship. whatever you've got in mind and we'll try and recommend a book that can help you with that so what have you got so this week we have got a recently single 20 something which you know been there (laughs) (laughs) been there um and is writing to us to help us find a book that's gonna help her redefine love and i just love that so much help her redefine love why i don't know because i feel like sometimes after you break up uh you like leave a relationship you might feel Mm. like that is all the love gone out of your life damn yeah no i feel that yeah (laughs) (laughs) you're like who's gonna love me now you know what i mean question mark Uh, (laughs) (laughs) so it's like nice to kind of help you reassert yourself and then also to like redefine love and all the other ways in which love can like enter your life yeah you know you get me I wonder how they feel like if they're in that space of hate, love, mm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. redefine it in terms of just me, <laughs> just yeah. love myself. Yeah, how do I love myself better? <laughs> so no one's gonna take me down again. Exactly. Or you know, yeah. Like how do you redefine love so that you can move forward in your next relationship? Yeah, and thrive. Yeah, it can go either way. Honestly. It can go either way. We so, can try and like cover both of those bases. Mm, mm. 
So yeah, I think All About Love is probably, by Bell Hooks, Mm -hmm. is probably the best, in terms of asking for help to redefine love, the book starts with the definition of love. (laughs) So All About Love by Bell Hooks is probably the best. and Completely agree. Yeah, it's really good because it explores... All the types of love. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like it gets into platonic love. Mm. It gets into self-love. And then I also love how it gets into your childhood. I was just... Oh my God. Not just your childhood, but also the way you should love your children. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. exactly. Because really, it all starts from there. It all starts from your childhood. The mm. way in which you love, the way in which you were taught to love and the way in which you receive love. I feel like these are all things that we learn from our childhood. Mm. And I love that she gets into that right at the very beginning of the book. Mm. Like, honestly, she scalped me. There was like a few (laughs) times that I was reading that book. I was like, damn, Belle. You know, like, (laughs) drag me. (laughs) It's really good. And it's short. Yeah, exactly. Mm. It's short. So that's a really, really good one. All About Love by Belle Hooks. What about you? And then, yeah, I was going to recommend My Brilliant Friend by Eleanor Ferrante, which is the first book, like, in her Neapolitan series. I think it's, like, three books or something. Mm. But this one specifically because it's about, essentially, like, a friendship. Just two women who grew Mm. up together in Naples, I believe. And it spans most of their lives. And it's just about the saving power of, like, platonic friendships because mm. i feel like in times like this you've broken up you're probably feeling a little bit alone i think it's like important to like lean on your friends mm. and your community mm. you know? 100%, yeah. yeah and then this book just kind of does that to me and I also i feel like it's like a a really nice and quiet book it's mm. you know when a book is just like so calming and yeah. quiet yeah mm-hmm. yeah so that would be my recommendation as well sounds good i want to read that you should. <laughs> You're my brilliant friend. So I said, ah, you're blushing. <laughs> uh, I'm gas. <laughs> oh, okay, cool. So, back to British takeaways. Mm. Maybe let's start with your takeaway because I chose it. So mm-hmm. what's your takeaway? I think my takeaway was probably she just re... <laughs> <laughs> she just confirmed for me, or after confirmed for me, just how insidious racism in Britain is just mm. because of the way that it's woven to like even the smallest, smallest parts of our society. All those kinds of little things where... They seem innocent in the light, and mm. then you like search, you literally scratch beneath the surface, mm. and it's like, oh, racism. Yeah. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> oh, imperialism. Mm. You know, like, yeah. yeah. So I think that was my biggest takeaway from it. And then it just made me realize how, and I know we say this, we say it all the time, but there's like a real lack of education around like Britain's imperial history, mm. which is what I think allows people to now move on or be in 2022 talking about. Is there racism? Is Britain a racist country? Mm, it's because mm. you don't know your history. 100%. Yeah, that was my biggest takeaway. Yeah. How about you? I think for me too, mm. the, the first one in the book, she mentions that her partner is so surprised that she needs to write this book mm. and he thinks it's ridiculous. Mm. And when it came to beauty, I felt like this. what this book taught me was that I was kind of like her and almost... I, even, I think I did write an essay on beauty, like needing mm. to 
unpack it, break it down. Mm. And I felt like this book told me, oh, all you need to do is stop looking at yourself that way through mm. through the lens of whiteness. Mm-hmm. And I felt like this book was like shaking me. Like, you know, in My and Kids where Michael was yeah. shaking James, like, you're acting like a nut. <laughs> yeah. And it was, that was that. That was like, Amanda, let it go. Like, Amanda, you're take, acting like a nut. Yeah, like take the glasses off. Um, <laughs> that was the first thing. And then the second thing was just realising how deeply entrenched the colonial legacy is mm. and how, like you say, you scratch the surface and it's there. Mm. Sometimes you don't even have to scratch. <laughs> Sometimes they just fart it out. <laughs> yeah, so realising how deep it was and, and realising that for me, I now am able to... It's not such a... It's not an act of activism to say that is racist or mm. that is wrong. Mm. And I think before Afro Hirsch... Who wrote Natives? Akala. Akala. Mm. Rennie, Edo Lodge, all those people started to come out to say things. I felt like whenever you would say, like, oh, I think that wasn't, you shouldn't have said yeah, that. Like, I was, like, mumbling, yeah. you know. But now I can, I feel more comfortable to just say, that's racist. And mm-hmm. that doesn't mean I'm an activist or I'm actually doing anything big. Even though in my body it feels like I'm shaking and I'm going to lose my job. <laughs> <laughs> you can't say that! Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think I walked away from this book realising that, yeah, put down the white gaze yeah. and secondly feel more confident to call out things that are manifestly wrong and it doesn't need to be complicated by other people feeling that you're calling them Hitler yeah. because that is not what you're doing mm-hmm. yeah yeah 100% <laughs> I love that thank you so much for tuning into our first episode this has been such a dream for us and to see it all come to life now has been so, so incredible. Literally, what a journey. And I'm so happy. And next episode, we're going to be discussing one of our favourite authors, the Toni Morrison. And we're starting off with Amanda's favourite Toni Morrison book. Sula! Which I'm very, very excited about. So Toni Morrison's the only author that's appearing twice this season, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. she's just that special to us. She, I mean, listen... I can't wait for this episode, guys. Literally, yeah, gagging for it. (laughs) (laughs) You can find us on Instagram at the Stacked Pod and join our book community. You can follow me, Amanda, at Amanda Afwa, and me, Zipporah, at Black and Bound. This has been Stacked, and remember, people, as they say on Drag Race, reading is what fundamental. Fundamental. Stacked is part of the ACAST Amplifier, in collaboration with CC Co. The executive producer was Iwan Obinyan, with production by II Studios.